chapter five of Song of Solomon this week, week five of our Awaken Love series. And you know that every week we've had sort of a theme. You know, we've watched this couple go through kind of dating, courtship, engagement, marriage. Last week was Josh's awkward message on sex. Sorry, Josh, it really was. We did great. But it was the awkward message on sex. And today we're going to talk about the, the honeymoon. And the theme for this week would be, why did we awaken love? If you've been in a significant relationship, you might get to that point where you're like, wow, why am I doing this? This is difficult. We're going to talk a little bit about conflict And we're going to dive right into chapter 5, looking at those first six verses. If you would join me there, please. So when it starts, you see the husband speaking in verse 1. And he says, I've come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I've gathered my myrrh with my spice. I've eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I have drunk my wine and my milk. Let's just share this at face value. And this is really the husband in a poetic way saying they've consummated their marriage, okay? At the end of that first verse, you see their friends celebrating them, and the friends are saying, eat friends and drink, drink your fill of love. And with the marriage celebration being so long in that culture, they still have friends and family around who are loving on them, celebrating with them, and enjoying this with them as well. Then we make a really funny transition, kind of odd in my opinion, to verse 2. And you're going to hear a lot more this week from the young lady or the bride in this passage. And she says, I slept, but my heart was awake. Now you should know, a lot of Bible scholars think that this passage is literally referring to sort of a dream sequence, that it might not have actually happened. Depending on what you think about that, it doesn't really matter. We're going to look at it and kind of unpack it just at face value for what it says and see what we can learn from that. So she says, listen, my beloved is knocking. And her husband says, open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of night. We don't know what happened. He could have been out late with his buddies. It's the middle of the night. He might have been working. I don't know. But he's damp with dew and he might be smelly. That's what I take from that passage. So the wife says, I have taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I have washed my feet. Must I soil them again? You know what this is saying? Poetically, it's saying no. It's like capital N, capital O with an exclamation point. Then she said, my beloved thrust his hand through the latch opening and my heart began to pound for him. I think this is interesting because he's been rejected and his first response is to open that door, but then he thinks better of it. He has pretty good impulse control. And then you know what she did right before verse 5? She did what every woman in the course of history on the face of our planet reserves the right to do. She changed her mind. Don't we do that, ladies? We reserve the right to change our minds, right? I know I do, that's for sure. So I'll just speak for myself there because I'm not getting enough response back from everyone else. It's just me. I would have changed my mind too. So she arose to open the door for her beloved and her hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with flowing myrrh, she said, on the handles of the bolt, I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had left, he was gone. My heart sank at his departure, I looked for him, but did not find him. I called, but he did not answer. So before we talk about this much more, let's take a moment, if you would join me in prayer, please. God, I thank you for this wonderful morning that we have the opportunity to come here and to worship you, to read your word in freedom. And Lord, I ask in Jesus' name that you would just bring these verses alive to us, that you would give each of us a deeper understanding, that you would speak to us and challenge us because we want to be more like Jesus. 
Amen. All right, so if there was a subheading for this group of verses, we already said it's sort of like, why did we awaken love? If there was a subheading for this group of verses, I would call it, the honeymoon is over, all capital letters, right? Because honeymoon is literally translated to be a season of sweetness. I didn't know that before this message, but that, it makes sense. It's a season of sweetness. There's all kinds of opinions on when does a honeymoon end for a married couple, Well, I would argue the honeymoon ends when you have that first fight. So hear me out. Fighting is not a problem. We won't be putting down fighting today. We're actually just going to be talking about the importance of fighting fair, the relationship needing to have respect at its core. And that's what we're looking for out of this passage to happen. And that's what we're looking for to happen in our lives too. So if you would, please picture with me, it's the year 2000. Uh, You'll see up on the screen a picture of my husband, Chris, and me. We were on our honeymoon at this all-inclusive resort in Jamaica. It was a wonderful gift. We really enjoyed ourselves. But something you should know is this is probably one of three pictures we have of that whole week because it was the year 2000. There were no selfies. Also, I think we had just one of those little flip phones, you know, like enough to call my father-in-law and say, we made it safely, talk to you in a week. Like, that was it. That was how primitive things were then. Also, we did not have a wedding hashtag. If you're a millennial or younger, we did not have a wedding hashtag. Somehow, we managed to survive, but you should know those things. So we flew from this all-inclusive resort in Jamaica back to our first home, which was this little condominium in Anderson, Indiana. Any of you familiar with Anderson, Indiana, right up the road? Okay, well, for those of you who are not familiar with Anderson, you should know that there were no palm trees in Anderson like we had in Jamaica, so that was not romantic. (laughs) There was no one preparing all of our meals for us in Anderson like we had in the all-inclusive resort. And finally, which is the case with any really good trip, you wind up coming home with a lot of work to do. We had just bags of dirty laundry, you know, so it felt a little bit like the deck was stacked against us, to be honest. (laughs) So our honeymoon was great. We came home late on a Friday. Saturday was good, but then our honeymoon ended on Sunday. Nine days into my marriage, the honeymoon ended. If you want to know why it ended, it's because my husband Chris and I had very different ideas of what Sunday should look like. I can't really tell you what I had in mind, but when he shared with me what he wanted to do, I was not amused. So I, I was sleeping in on Sunday morning, and I heard Chris downstairs, and I went downstairs. He's already showered, dressed nicely, and eating breakfast. And I sat down, and he said to me, you know, Dana... We received some cash and checks for wedding gifts, and I really think we should combine, figure out what the total of that amount is, and we should tithe or give 10% of that to our church today. So I had two problems with that. One, he wanted to give away our cash. Two, he wanted to go to church that day. And I'm just standing in front of you as a pastor at Mercy Road saying 17 years ago, I was a little bit of a different person, okay? So there's hope for everyone. But I was not amused with his plans. I didn't like it, and I was as grumpy as probably a three-year-old at that point. And the only thing that happened was he said, you know, it's about 20 minutes until when you leave for church. So if you want to go with me, that's how much time you have if you want to get ready and, and go with me. So I'll tell you in a few minutes how I responded to his suggestion. But first, I want to let you know the first point of today's message. And that is that selfishness in relationships leads only to regret and pain. Let's look back at the Song of Solomon, Newlyweds, to unpack this this point a little bit more. 
Uh, Again, I said that many scholars agree that from verse 2 on, when we're hearing from the young woman in this passage, many people think it was a dream sequence. So we're just going to kind of look at it at face value and discover in that verse, her husband arrives home, he comes to her room to pursue her intimately, and we're making an assumption there that he's looking for sex. Honestly, he might have just wanted to talk about his work day. He might have just wanted to cuddle. We don't know because she said no and put the kibosh on the whole thing straight away. And I think we do that a lot in our relationships in today's culture, don't we? Even though it's years down the road, we like to say no in a variety of ways, men and women both, saying the kids exhausted me today. I just want to go hide in a dark corner. I think I've said that. Um, I've got my glasses on and my Kindle out. Don't approach me. I just want to read and veg out. That's another common thing that we do in marriage. And also, sometimes we just want to wear our ugliest pair of pajamas that we own. You know, like that holy pair that's in the far back corner of the dresser that you have to get out to wear because you want to communicate to the world, I'm watching Netflix, nobody talk to me. I'm in my nasty pajamas, you know, the stretchy pants. So that's another way that we say no uh, in today's culture. So when the bride says no, she does change her mind. She thinks better of it. And she goes to open the door, but it was too late, wasn't it? She experienced that regret and pain that we're talking about here that selfishness leads to. And this is true for marriage, but it's also true in any relationship in our lives. You know, we're talking about marriage. I understand that's the premise of this passage and this whole series. But if you're single, don't check out here. Selfishness in any relationship can lead to pain and regret. And, you know, men and women, as I prepared this message, I couldn't help but think that all of us, including myself, we have reasons that we might think it's okay for us to be selfish and turn others away in our lives. Maybe we've had a failed marriage. We might have experienced abuse. Something might have happened that led to our feeling very angry and just making a decision to protect our hearts and to keep people at arm's length. But I want you to know that every time that reason or excuse comes to mind, and for some of you, it might have already come to mind in this morning's message, every time that comes to mind, you must remind yourself that if you're following Jesus, our spiritual enemy, Satan, has a plan for you, and his plan is to ruin your ability to be in healthy, intimate relationships. So if you're married, the enemy immediately wants your marriage to fail. And now if he can't make your marriage fail, he can at least try to suck the intimacy out of it. He can try to suck the energy out, the intimacy out of that relationship to where you're still married, but it's not a healthy relationship. And the enemy's plan to ruin intimacy in my life began when I was 16 years old. And I'll just share with you that that little excuse that I used to want to wave around all the time that I still have to remind myself not to use to keep people at arm's length was that when I was 16, the first person I dated, an acquaintance of mine, I was date raped by. And I share that with you because I think all of us have experiences, choices we've made, or things that have happened to us that lead us to say, no, no, you don't understand. I get out of jail free. This is my card. I don't have to engage with you. This is as far as I'm willing to go in a relationship because X, Y, or Z happened to me. And if you're believing that lie, I want to challenge you as lovingly as I can today. Do not settle for that in your life. God made you for so much more. And if you receive that lie, you and many others are going to miss out on the blessing of relationship. So I share that story because I want to encourage you 
that even though it wasn't easy, God has done a dramatic turnaround in my life. And if you need to take a step of faith today as you hear that, if you need to reach out and get help, please tell me or tell someone else here at Mercy Road. We specifically budget to provide in our finances to give you a couple hours of counseling to help you work towards restoration because it is that important for you to get out from under that lie in your life. And so we have two options every day, and it's a little funny to me because both options are to fight, but they're two very different types of fighting. The first option is to fight to remain isolated and let the enemy win, keep pushing people away, or fight to engage in healthy relationships, and if you're married, to engage in an intimate marriage. All right, let's take a look at verses 7 and 8, if we could, please. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. They beat me, they bruised me, they took away my cloak, the watchmen of the walls. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, if you find my beloved, what will you tell him? Tell him I am faint with love. And this is a really tough passage to share. Um, I think I get to share it this morning because it's what Josh would call delegation. <laughs> so so if, we're, if we're taking this to face value, it's a very painful passage. Whether or not it's a dream, we don't know. But we do know that in that day and age, in that culture, it was common for a woman who to be out late in the evening, distraught, perhaps the middle of the night without a husband, uh, a brother, a father, someone escorting her, the watchman would think nothing other than she was probably doing something immoral or illegal. So it's very unfortunate what we hear happening here. And the reason I want to touch on this for just a moment is because many times we draw a connection between what's happening in Song of Solomon. Solomon, the husband here, being similar maybe to God or Jesus in our life, and the bride being similar to all of us who are trying to follow Jesus. This verse is not a part of scripture that you can correlate to God. God is not abusive, and my heart is just to really camp on that a little bit this morning because my concern is there are people who are sitting here who've heard somewhere in their past that God is, you know, an angry God who just wants to abuse them and hurt them, and that is not true. And I want you to know that what we're, we, while God is not abusive, he does discipline us, and those are two very different things. If you have nieces, nephews, children, kids in your life that you love, you discipline them, you correct them. It's all out of love and a healthy approach. It's not abusive. And God is such a loving parent that he does discipline us. And you can see that in um, Hebrews 12, verse 6 where it says that God disciplines the one he loves. He chastens everyone he accepts as his son. So we know that scripture confirms this, that God will discipline and correct us. And here's the interesting part, the beautiful part of this passage, is we see Solomon pursuing his bride. And that is true. That's what God does for us. He is always pursuing us, always hunting us down. But the catch is that we have the free will. We have the option to say no and to push him away, to pull out that get-out-of-jail-free card and push God away and push others in our lives away as well. So the fact is, sometimes our choices put us in situations where we might feel bruised or hurt by the outcomes, but that is not God. He is there to guide us lovingly. So let's take a look at the second point from these eight verses, and that is really the inverse of our first point, where selfishness leads to regret and pain. The inverse of that is that embracing intimacy leads to blessing. And I'm not saying do this so that you can get blessed. I'm saying let's have a heart of being open to relationship, to receiving love, to giving love, to trusting God with that, knowing full well that our lives will be full of more joy just as a result of that. And God wants to bless and fill our lives with healthy relationships. But that requires two things of us. One, 
a hard one. It's easy to say, but very difficult to do, and that is to trust God. And the second thing we have to do is to resist our natural tendencies to be selfish. And if anyone is here today that thinks they don't have a natural tendency to be selfish, I think you're mistaken. And the only way we can fight that natural tendency is with God's help. So trusting him and seeking that help is how we can embrace intimacy in our lives. So now's a really good time to loop back around to the end of my, you know, when my honeymoon ended and I had that first argument with my husband, Chris, and I, you know, he had, he wanted us to go to church. He wanted us to tithe. He was this godly man asking me to do all these things that I was against. And I do remember when he said, we've got about 20 minutes to go to church if you want to go. I stomped up the stairs like a three-year-old, and I do think I had my jaw clenched. I think I had my fist clenched. But when I got up there and I started getting ready, God did what I just shared with you, and that is he disciplined me. And when I want to share that with you because he was not angry. He was not abusive. He was so loving, and he was so tender and firm at the same time. And all it took was a little reminder in my mind that I believe was the Holy Spirit reminding me, Dana, Think back in your past. Think how far you've come. The biggest prayer of your heart was to marry a godly man. There's a man downstairs who wants you to tithe and go to church. (laughs) Is that too much to ask? And I got to tell you, I went. And I'm so thankful that I went because it was not the right time to dig my heels in. And God really led me to change my mind, just like we saw in this passage. And I'm so thankful for it. So I want to tell you this, that no matter where you are today, whatever your get-out-of-jail-free card is as to why you can push away intimacy and healthy relationships, there is a takeaway that you can have healthy relationships, but it's going to require you to swallow your pride. You might need to put yourself in time out like I've had to, but with God's help, you can fight and defeat the temptation to isolate yourself and be selfish in life. I'm going to hand it over to Pastor Josh for the next eight verses. Can we thank Dana for sharing this morning? She's done such a good job and been amazing on the team so far. So Dana, you passed the test, the second interview this morning. And I want to thank you for sharing those verses. I also want to thank you. She said that her her honeymoon lasted about nine days. And so I also want to thank you that my marriage is so much more successful than yours. Oh. My wife and I made it about a year before the honeymoon ended. Everything was going great. Uh, This is true. It lasted about a year. We talked to our counselors about this. But uh, we saved up as poor people for an entire year to go to Paris, France. Uh, It saved all our money. We had no children. We were young and free, baby. And we got there, and we had one of the biggest arguments we've ever had in our marriage at the Louvre of all places. Doesn't my wife look lovely uh, 10 years ago right there? She looks the exact same today. I'm not kidding. Uh, We had some nice food there, and we also, this is the best picture coming up next. That is very handsome there, posing. And the Louvre holds some of the greatest artworks in human history, right? The Mona Lisa's there, all this stuff. It's humongous. If you've never been there, it's the size of multiple football fields, mainly underground and so we're on this dream vacation, and this, isn't this how the enemy works sometimes? Like some of the best moments in life, he just wants to destroy it. And while we're there, um, I, it was very cold, it was the middle of February, and I had purchased a hat before going on this trip uh, from California at the time where we were living, 
It was a very nice knitted hat that kept my ears warm when it was cold outside. And while we were in the Louvre, I misplaced that hat somewhere. Now we got, I know that's not a big deal to you, but I spent like 15 or $20 on that hat. And we got back to the lobby of the Louvre and there are literally thousands upon thousands of people at this place, humongous. And we're in the lobby and I'm like, honey, I, I hate to tell you this, but I lost my hat. She's like, oh, that's a real bummer. You wanna go to the next museum? I said, no, I don't think you understand. Like, I lost my hat, and I need to go find it. She said, Josh, you're never going to find that in this place. It's humongous. I said, you don't understand. I'm going to find the hat. Now, this is when, for those of you who are married, you know it is not about the hat anymore. It has become about proving your spouse wrong, right? Like, that's kind of marriage in a nutshell, if you haven't experienced it yet. Like, so I told her, we're going to find it, and we're going to find it now. She said, no, I'm not leaving. I said, well, then I'm leaving you. And I left her there in the lobby of the Louvre in Paris, France, where she might be the only person who speaks English in that entire area. And I walked around the Louvre for the next hour looking for my hat. Now, a little life lesson. Do you think I actually found the hat? No, Lisa was right, as usual. Did not find the hat, yet we ruined an entire day in Paris, France, in this dream vacation over that. Have you ever had something like that happen to you? Like this silly little thing. I didn't care about a $15, $20 hat. It, came, it became about winning an argument with my spouse. How do you fight well in your marriage? See, I loved what Dana shared there, and I want to give you a verse to to read Song of Solomon chapter 5 through this verse with this lens. It's Galatians 2.20 in the New Testament. Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Right? Part of following Jesus is a denial of yourself. Luke 9 says to deny yourself and pick up your cross daily. Paul goes on and he says, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you're here, you're watching online, and you can consider yourself a follower of Jesus, not just in your marriage, but in any relationship you have, dying to self, saying, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but the life I live is through faith in the Son of God. That's a part of following Jesus daily in your relationships. And so read these verses, the second half of Song of Solomon chapter 5, through that lens. And here's two questions for marital, marital arguments that I'd love for us to ask. And the first one is this, and this could go to men or women, but we're going to start with the women first. Women, are you speaking to the man crush or the menace in your life? You know what I'm talking about? Like the man crush. What is it? Man crush Mondays? Is that what it is? Something like that. Use the hashtag man crush Mondays. And you know, like the good things, the reason you fell in love with your husband in the first place, those things that you know you kind of remember, but in an argument you never want to remember ever again. And I just want to ask, are you speaking to that person when you speak to them? Are you speaking to the menace, the one who's trying to ruin your life? Men, vice versa. Look at the verses that she read. She just had this huge argument with her husband. And let's not say that it wasn't valid in the first place, right? As Dana talked about, the guy goes to the door. He wants to come in to the bedroom. She's not wearing anything. I'm sorry, Dana. I mean, husband, he wasn't going in there to cuddle. That just wasn't what was about to happen. 
wasn't what he is. Let's be honest, men, are we being honest this morning? Right? Like, so the fact that she reacted the way she did, there was some validity to what was occurring there. I'm sure he didn't want to come in and talk about his day. And yet, right after that, she responds, once she realizes what's happened, almost too late, she responds with this type of language to her husband. She says this, how is your beloved better than others, most beautiful of women? How is your beloved better than others that you so charge us? Now, ladies, when was the last time you talked to your husband or the men in your life this way? (laughs) Never. My beloved is radiant and ruddy. Just go home over lunch today and say that to your husband. See how he responds. Outstanding among 10,000. His head is purest gold. You may say some other things about his head. His hair is wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves. By the water streams washed in milk, mounted like jewels. His cheeks are like beds of spice yielding perfume. His lips are like lilies dripping with myrrh. His arms are rods of gold. Well, maybe they used to be, right? They're rods of gold set with topaz. His body is my favorite part. It's polished ivory decorated with lapis lazuli. That's actually, they use that to describe heaven in other places in the Old Testament. Like, ladies, your husband's body. She's saying, husband, I find you sexy. That body of yours, whoo! When was the last time you said something like that to your husband? His legs are pillars of marble set on bases of pure gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as its cedars. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. This is my beloved. This is a key part. We're going to come back to it. This is my beloved. This is my friend, daughters of Jerusalem. Now, look, I'm not telling you you don't have to be honest with one another. You got to pretend like your husband at uh, 95 is going to be like he was when he's 25. Like, that's not going to happen. But it does mean that men, let's be honest, we are just as insecure as the women are. Only we won't admit it. We hide behind bravado and other things. But the way that we talked last week, how the husband is speaking to the woman and valuing what she values, that women, the same way to speak life into our husband, to share the good things, the things that we appreciate, the things that we remember about them and the things that we still see in them, it's so easy for us to become focused on the negative things in our husband or our wife's life, rather than speaking to the things that we fell in love with in the first place. The reality is we will become more like the person we speak to the most. You understand what I mean by that? That if you speak to your husband in a way that demonstrates the type of man of God you hope that he is, he will more likely become like that. So which one are we speaking to? Now, let's not take it easy on the guys. The question I want to ask the men in the room, men, are your desires fulfilled in her? So she speaks these words to him after she had had this like argument. And, and she realizes, I, I, I'm not talking the way that I should to my husband. And she comes back and she begins to speak all this lovely language to him. And the reality is, guys, when some of us, we don't receive that from our wives the way that we desire it, we find other ways to fulfill it, don't we? Let's put that question back up there. Are you finding your desires fulfilled in her? And when you are not, what are you turning to instead? For most of us in our culture, we fill our lives, like if we're not getting what we want from a relationship, both men and women, we we turn to other things, escapes. Sometimes it's other relationships. Sometimes it's pornography. Sometimes it's work. 
Sometimes it's sports. Sometimes it's even the idolatry of our children or their sports careers. And we find little ways to fulfill ourselves when we're not receiving what we desire from our spouse. And let me just encourage you this morning. It's not that you're never going to desire things that someone isn't giving you, right? That's going to happen in any relationship, not just physical intimacy and marriage in any relationship. It's what we do in that moment that really matters, right? Are you becoming a man your wife can actually brag about? When, when you're desiring something else, rather than turning to these escapes, what if you actually talked to your spouse about it? What if you worked those things out? What if you spoke back and forth? You can't change the other person, but you can change yourself. And you can become more like the person God desires you to be. For the husbands, what if you became that spiritual leader, maybe a hard worker? Do you communicate with her? Do you invest in the relationship with her? And maybe you can add other things or take things away from that list, but are you becoming the person God desires for you to be so that you turn to her when you're in your time of need and say, here's what I am desiring in the relationship. I want to see this more fulfilled. It's that type of conversation and working things out that lead to a healthy relationship. And, and women and men both, don't forget that you don't just get to go, yeah, see, you're not doing this. You're turning to other things. Talk about it. Work it out. Repent with one another. Turn to the Lord and invite him in. Allow him to break the chains that have been binding your relationship, some of you, for decades. Do you still have hope that God could do that in your life? I'm going to focus on verse 6 as we close out here with a few additional New Testament verses. It says in verse um, 16, excuse me, in Song of Solomon chapter 5, it said this, His mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. This is my beloved this is my friend. Literally, it's like, this is my lover, and this is also my friend. And what I find is, in our romantic relationships, in, in our marriages, when either the lover part has been lost, or the friend part has been lost, or both, we start having problems, don't we? And it's only when we talk about those things and we address them that God can begin to bring healing Psalm 147 verse 3 says, if some of you have some brokenness in your past and it's very difficult for you to get beyond and find healing, it says that God heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. Maybe there are some of us this morning that if we're honest, we got some brokenness we need to talk about with our spouse. He needs to heal our broken wounds this morning. Bind up the, our brokenness. He, heal the brokenhearted and bind up our wounds. Because nobody wakes up one day and goes, hey, you know, later on when I become an adult, I would really love to cheat on my spouse. <laughs> no, nobody has those dreams and aspirations as a child, right? Nobody's like, I would really love to get divorced someday. I'd really love to um, eventually not have the lover part be in there or the friend part be in there. Nobody wants those things, but it happens Allow God to heal the brokenhearted so that those things don't occur in our lives. And some of us, when you have things from your past, there is now no condemnation from those in Christ Jesus. We aren't pointing fingers to tell you, man, you really need to feel bad or guilty about what you have messed up in your life. But to all come here with vulnerability and say, I want to find healing in my relationships and in my marriage. And I'll end with this. See, 2 Corinthians 5.17 is my favorite Bible verse in all of Scripture. It says, therefore... 
If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Or the way I remembered it, if anyone is in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. That when you encounter Christ in your life, it's like he can change anything. There is hope for change in any area of your life. You were once something else, and now you've become something new. When I first found Christ, he took this drunken fraternity guy and turned him into somebody that actually cared about other people and wanted to see God change his life. But we read that verse, and we think about the new creation we've become in Christ, and we forget the two verses that occur right after it. In verse 18, it says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us what? The ministry of reconciliation. If you are a follower of Jesus, the word reconcile means to repair, to reconcile you between another person. That how you've been reconciled with God, that now you have repaired a broken relationship. You can have that ministry of reconciliation with other people in your life, including your spouse. That as a follower of Jesus, he's desiring for you to reconcile with your spouse and heal the brokenness that's occurring Verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Wouldn't that be easy to do? And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Reconciliation, the difficult part of it, requires forgiveness. What in your life right now, maybe it's in your relationships or maybe it's in your marriage, do you need to be reconciled to find forgiveness in, to heal And allow God to take those chains away that have been binding your relationships and your marriages for years. And say, I'm going to rekindle the lover and the friend that I once desired. I'm going to have hope that the God that created the universe and redeemed me can do that. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for every person that came out to this service this morning. And if we're honest, we all struggle with this. We don't want to fight fair. We want to fight to win. And God, if there are marriages right now, probably a lot of them that are hurting, that the lover or friend part of our relationship has been lost, God, that we would have hope that you could heal that. And it would begin this morning. That we'd reconcile us with one another. That we would be honest about what's really going on in our lives. That we wouldn't wait and have it be too long as this woman almost did. Instead, she found reconciliation even at the last hour. And so did he. And so we acknowledge your presence in the room with us right now. And for those of us that want to find that type of healing in our relationships, we pray this silently. Pray with me as I pray out loud. God, I confess I need you. I have allowed the enemy to burden me, to chain up parts of my relationship. I'm no longer friends with him. I'm no longer lovers with her. God, heal that in our life. We surrender it to you. May we talk to somebody. May we seek help. May we learn to fight fair in our marriages. God, we give you this morning. We declare that you are the mighty warrior of our lives and of our marriages. Fight for us, Lord Jesus. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. And all God's family said, amen.